Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Rice Priebus is out. General John Kelly is in. The problem is Donald Trump is still the president of the United States. Hey, hello, everybody. They'll never fix the mess until as long as he's there. Great to see you today. Hello, hello, hello on this last day of July. Can you believe it? Here we go. July 31, 2017, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. The big stories, of course, shake up at the White House, yet another shake up at the White House. And you can be sure this is not going to be the very last one. Donald Trump brings in a new communications director who hates the existing chief of staff, unleashes a barrage of vulgar obscenities against him. I'm sure you talked about this on Friday with Peter and says Reince Priebus ought to be fired. And he was by the end of the day by, uh, well, we're not sure whether who's in charge, Scaramucci or Donald Trump. But one is Trump one and one is Trump two and whoever is they're basically the same person. That's a big story. North Korea is firing off another intercontinental ballistic missile that, uh, uh, scientists, experts say, military experts all agree, could reach the United States. We are now right in their crossfire for sure. John McCain saves the day in uh, helping kill the Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare basically with nothing. Uh, and Donald Trump goes up to New York and tells cops, just be as rough as you can on prisoners, on people that you arrest, yes, we love police brutality, and the cops applaud. Oh, my God, so much to talk about. Tell us your comment. Give us your comments on what you think about everything that's going on on Twitter, at BP Show. We will dive in with both feet, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, you remember the name Tommy Lauren, right? Tammy. Tom- yeah, that's it, Tammy. From the Blaze, the oh, yes. uh, the yes. young woman oh, who worked with Glenn yes. Beck, yes. who was let go, of course. Well, she is making a little more news because she was speaking at Politicon, this this yeah, right. like convention for politics nerds in the West Coast. 
So she was speaking there over the weekend. Now, Tommy has been a fierce critic of Obamacare. She spent a lot of her time on air talking about how bad Obamacare was. It's awful, etc. Well, she admitted that she's on Obamacare. <laughs> she admitted that because of Obamacare, because she's 24 years old, she said she didn't have to worry about anything because she is able to use her parents' health care plan. So all this time... She's been talking about how terrible freeloader the Obamacare is for freeloading young people. All these Republicans in Congress are on Obamacare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We talked about the medical marijuana business in Maine. They have the medical marijuana uh, situation. (laughs) Well, the owner of a company called Summit Medical Marijuana offered residents free weed at his dispensary. All you have to do is go pick up some trash. He says he wants to clean up the city that he lives in, Gardner, and says that if you go out and you pick up a full trash bag full of trash and bring it into his dispensary, he will give you free weed. How much? It's called a day of service. doesn't say how much, but gifting is is legal. Allowed? Yeah, you're allowed to just give it away. So, I mean, is this this like a joint or two joints or what's a... I don't know. But I mean, I I, I would imagine it's enough to get... I guess, yeah, sure. It's enough to get you high. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. Let's say it's enough to get a bowl. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I let's—I would imagine it's probably a joint's worth. So that's uh, that's worth going out and doing if you're in Maine. Go pick up some trash, bring it into absolutely to, to the uh, Summit Medical Marijuana in Gardner, Maine. That's what you ought to do. Uh, I was up in Delaware yesterday and heard about a cousin of mine who'd been having some really serious health problems. They'd taken his driver's license away. He was sort of having a little bit of dementia and everything. And his daughter got him some pot. There you go. And he is healthy as a horse. There has you go. his driver's license back. And he is just a happy and just the same person he used to be. Full of life and everything. Tell you. That's the answer. I love it. Pot. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. What do you say, folks, on the last day of July 2017? It is July 31. It's Monday. It's the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us and being part of the program here with lots to talk about. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We've got, uh, we are on top of whatever's going on here. Not only here, but around the country and around the globe. North Korea off with another uh, ICBM over the weekend. They're just doing this to just drive Donald Trump crazy and the rest of us crazy. Uh, And, by the way, uh, we are uh, looking at you on Free Speech TV. We are looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where most of you catch us. On our podcast all day long at BillPressShow.com or iTunes, wherever you follow your podcast, you'll find us there. And, of course, we're part of the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, hello, hello. Hope you had a good weekend. Man, we had two days of torrential rains here in Washington, D.C., but it cleared up yesterday, a beautiful day yesterday in the Washington area. Um, good enough for the uh, the Nats to split a doubleheader. Yeah. Um, Peter Ogburn was there trying to help him along. Yeah. Did all right in the first game. Let us down the second one. But other way around. Other way around. Oh, we, the other we, way we around. lost the first oh, one. That won the was second that. One. That yeah, was yeah, why yeah. I was a little confused with Carol because she was following that ten. It was ten to whatever. Ten to five. Ten to six. Yeah. This is where it ended, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ten to six. All right. Not uh, pretty. No. Exactly. 
So uh, we want you to know, of course, this is the, uh, the this is everybody in America has got to sign on here. This is American Dream Week. Oh yes, did you? Know? <laughs> yes, we have a new theme this week, uh, American Dream Week. We hope that American Dream Week goes better than last week, which was American Heroes Week. Uh, if we look back at last week on American Heroes Week, uh, let's see how did Donald Trump do? Well, um, the health care bill, his health care bill, uh, lost. Uh, shot down at the end of the week, so his number one legislative agenda, uh, he lost. He pissed off the entire LGBT community uh, three ways last week, most uh, most um, notably by honoring American heroes, of course, by firing about 7,500 of them from the military because they happen to be uh, transgender, even though the Pentagon says they're not going to pay any attention to it because it was a tweet uh, not a law and uh, passed by Congress and not an executive order. Uh, he fired his uh, chief of staff, of course, uh, brought in a new one. He hired a new communications director uh, who immediately out-trumped Donald Trump in terms of his vulgarity. Uh, and he was um, scolded twice for remarks that he had made in public. He was roundly scolded by the Boy Scouts of America, for the stuff that he said at their jamboree, which was inappropriate. And then he was scolded by the Suffolk County, New York Police Department for comments that he made in front of police officers on Friday uh, up in uh, up, uh, out in Long Island. So I would say overall that American Heroes Week didn't go too well for Donald <laughs> Another Trump. Another great success for Donald yes, Trump. Yes, right. Now we'll see how much, how well we do in American Dream Week. Yeah. Uh, so well, let's start, yeah, with a whole range for you thing. I mean, look, first of all, I don't have a dog in this fight, right? I think they all stay. They're all they're all terrible. They're all terrible. They really are. I mean, and I'm no. Uh, I, I, you remember, I said, don't feel sorry for Spicy. Don't feel far. Don't feel sorry for Reince Priebus either. He was a disaster. He was he was the least effective chief of staff we've seen uh, in our lifetime, and that's saying something. Um, but I has to, I have to say, in his defense. It was doomed. He was doomed from the beginning. I mean, he, he start, uh, started out, if you let's go back, because only six months ago, uh, that Donald Trump announced his chief of staff and Steve Bannon at the same time. Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon, he announced at the same time. So from the very beginning, Reince Priebus was undercut by the fact that Steve Bannon did not report to him, reported directly to the president. Jared Kushner, of course, did not report to the chief of staff, reported to the president. Ivanka, of course, reports to her daddy, uh, not to the chief of staff. So right away, you had three people, right, Who three of the most influential people who didn't report to Reince Priebus. And then Donald Trump, the, the coup de grace, was he brings in uh, Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, who is his sworn enemy, who also doesn't report to Reince Priebus, who reports directly to the president. So he fires finally, uh, well, he forces uh, Priebus out because that's what Mooch wants, and they bring in Secretary General John Kelly from DH, uh, Department of Homeland Security. And as I said several times on the weekend on CNN, on MSNBC, look, Kelly's a good guy. He's one of the most uh, competent, uh, most uh, respected uh, and most impressive members of the uh, of the Trump cabinet, such as it is, but he's walking into a hornet's nest as well. I mean, he we don't know. I'm pretty sure I know the answer. We haven't been told that Ivanka and Jared Kushner are not going to go through 
John Kelly to get to Donald Trump. That, that's a different, totally different kind of relationship. You can bet your sweet ass that Steve Bannon is not going to have to, or nor is Hope Hicks, nor is Omarosa going to have to go through John Kelly to get to the president or run their ideas through him or seek access to the Oval Office through John Kelly. So he's going to be undermined and is undermined as well from from the very, very beginning. And so far as the mooch is concerned, we don't know. If he didn't report to the last chief of staff, most likely he's not going to have to report to this chief of staff either. But the number one reason that John Kelly is going to fail is because we've said this so many times. The problem ain't the staff. That's right. The problem ain't the people under Donald Trump. The problem is Donald Trump. And you saw this. He continued to tweet over the weekend, new chief of staff or not. Uh, he continued to attack Hillary. He continues to attack Jeff Sessions. He's a continuing cyber bully. He continues to put out nonsense about how the Republicans should only, should on health care, what they got to do is get down to 51 votes. They got to change everything. Doesn't he realize they rigged it so all they needed was 51 votes. They couldn't get 51 votes. They couldn't get 50 effing votes on that health care bill. I mean, Trump, he's so out of touch, so clueless about what's going on. So, yeah, rot's a ruck, John Kelly, you know, you you got a problem uh, at the very top. The, yes, this White House is in free fall, but the one who is totally out of control uh, is the man who sadly is the president of the United States. Uh, I wish we could just have another election and get it over with uh, right now. Uh, before we say goodbye to uh, Reince Priebus, we have to um, give him um, a full salute. The Thanks to The Daily Show. Uh, back in March, this was. Wait, this was <laughs> two months into the presidency. The Daily Show put together a little montage of things that Reince, crazy things Reince Priebus had said in the first two months. Well, I should clarify, this was also when he was GOP chairman. So some of it is okay because he criticizes just, Obama yeah. in it. Just to, all right. Yeah. So, so this is this, but this is all Reince Priebus. If the Democrats said we had a war on caterpillars and every mainstream media outlet talked about the fact that Republicans have a war on caterpillars, then we'd have problems with caterpillars. I would say that we're not closed for repairs, but we're open for repairs. They know that the president promised the carpet the world, and they know that he delivered a plate of dog food. The only way we're going to grow is by adding people in the door, not subtracting and dividing people out. Over-preparation is in the eye of the beholder. Everyone's on the floor staring at the ceiling. The green flag is down. An earthquake in a box. We're not going to have a six-month slice and dice festival. <laughs> He's crazier He's than Trump. so bad. <laughs> So None bad. of that makes any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at makes all. Any sense at all. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but we're open for repairs. They yeah. know that the president promised the carpet the world. Yeah. So there it carpet is. the world. Carpet the world. Yes, indeed. Instead, he instead he delivered a plate of dog food. I guess I don't know. But <laughs> so here he is, Reince Priebus. He is out. Uh, John Kelly is in, and Reince Priebus is out, of course, because. Um, as Mooch said, you know, they were like brothers, like Cain and Abel. And we know what happened to Abel after Cain uh, <clears throat> stabbed him in the back or stabbed him in the chest, whichever here in Washington, D.C. goes. Uh, Mooch killed Priebus. That was his number one goal. 
And he did so, by the way, in, in this, this string of vulgarities that we can't repeat on this family radio show. Um, nobody could repeat. Most, most newspapers actually printed it word for word. Uh, it was vulgar. It was obscene. It was not even locker room talk. It was, it was really ugly stuff. But here's what got here. So, so expect that from a snake oil salesman or scumbag like Scaramucci. But here's what really got me about that. Did you notice Donald Trump didn't say one damn word about it? Everybody else condemned it. A lot of Republicans condemned it. A lot of senators condemned it. Said, well, you can't have that kind of language. It, it's not, dig, not worthy of the White House, not worthy of any workplace. Donald Trump never said one word. Never condemned it. Never said this is uh, not the kind of language that we want to hear around the White House. You know why? Because he uses the same language, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? He and Scaramucci would probably try to outdo each other. Uh, Donald Trump never condemned it, never said, never didn't fire the mooch, fired the other guy, right? Uh, again, just total, total silence, which I thought spoke volumes about who Donald Trump is. So uh, Priebus is out. He joins the list, by the way. Uh, we know the list. Uh, it's Michael Flynn, of course. It's James Comey. It's Michael Dubke, who was communications director. It is uh, Sean Spicer. Now it is Reince Priebus. Raises the question about who is next. You know it's not the end of the road. No. Uh, there are probably going to be a lot. In fact, there's a, I think Katie Walsh was her name. There's already one junior staffer who went who, who left, who was fired um, before Mooch got there. But he has said he might clean house with the entire communications operation. And then, of course, we still have Jeff Sessions twisting in the wind, which I think it's only a matter of time. And um, Rex Tillerson. <laughs> Tillerson has made it clear that he's, he's not very happy at all. And uh, Donald Trump is not happy with him. Um, so who knows? I mean, this is Trump style. It, yeah, this is. I was about to say this is totally Trump style. Like, first of all, this is sort of the way that he's always done stuff. If he can't get something done, or if he looks bad, or if it comes back onto him, he just fires somebody. Mm -hmm. That's his catchphrase. You're fired. Yeah. Right. And if you look at what Scaramucci said in that interview with Chris Lizza, or not the interview, but when he called Chris Lizza, didn't realize that he was on the record. Ryan Lizza. Ryan Lizza. Uh, saying, I'm going to fire everybody in this communications team. It, if you don't give that. me a name, I'll fire every single one of them. Yeah. yeah. I believe that, by right. the way. Yeah. and Because Trump would love that. Sure. And then he accused Priebus of leaking his financial information, which he didn't because his financial information is actually a public document. Yeah. Right, so uh, by, by the way, of course, that you know, all, you know, all this happened on Friday, uh, 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 when Donald Trump got back to Washington after flying up to Long Island for the speech to the law enforcement officers, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, and it was raining like hell on Friday, and the plane landed. Donald Trump came out with his umbrella uh, and told reporters, uh, praising Reince Priebus, but also uh, praising uh, uh, John Kelly. Reince is a good man. John Kelly will do a fantastic job. There it is. General Kelly has been a star, done an incredible job thus far, respected by everybody. It's like a reality show. General Kelly has been a star. A star. Yeah. yeah. So that, well, that's right, exactly. Which he said about Reince Priebus, too, when he yes. hired him. Remember? Yeah. On election night, he yeah. brought him up and said what a star he was. So Reince Priebus flies to New York on Air Force One as chief of staff, and he comes home uh, dethroned. Uh, that's the way they treat them. And uh, Scaramucci was on the plane, too. It must have been an interesting ride uh, on Air Force One.
uh, with uh, all three of them uh, on on board. While in New York, of course, Donald Trump, he went up there to talk about everything the administration is doing to uh, crack down on the MS-13 uh, gangs. Uh, he's uh, had police officers in back of him, all in uniform, wearing white gloves and everything. Uh, and Donald Trump, first of all, he went on to say how much we love our law enforcement officers and we will support our law enforcement officers every step of the way, uh, except, of course, if you're the number one law enforcement officer of the land, the attorney general of the United States. No, I'll just attack you every other day or every day or twice a day. Yes. Uh, I was so it was so almost embarrassing for him to be talking about how much he loved law enforcement officers after he's sliming Jeff Sessions uh, every time you turn around. And then, of course, he had a special message for the police officers there about how they should um, treat uh, people that they uh, arrest. Whatever you do, says Donald Trump, don't be too nice. When you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Oh, yeah. This is a great message to give uh, to uh, police departments around the country, especially, I mean, these days when every time, almost every day, there's another case of either police brutality or a police worse, right, a police shooting, excessive use of force, uh, and some unarmed, usually young black man being shot by a white cop. And here's Donald Trump. What if he, don't be too nice. In fact, you know, um, and we remember Freddie Gray in Baltimore yeah. being thrown in the back of a police van. Given a rough ride. And given a rough ride given a, and, essentially, and killed by gi- the cops. Given essentially exactly what Trump is asking Exactly what for. Trump is asking. And this is what Trump says. This is Freddie Gray. That's the way. That's not something cops should no longer do. Donald Trump says this is what you should do every time you put somebody in a paddy wagon. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're <laughs> protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over... Like, don't hit their head, and they've just killed somebody. Don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? Yeah, you can take it. In other words, Jeez. rough them up. Rough them up. That's exactly what we said. What is that? But why should we be surprised? This is a guy in his campaign, right, during the campaign, who told protesters, beat him up, punch him out. You, you do it, don't worry about getting sued because I'll pay your legal fees. He actually said that. He got away with it. Over and over again, so many times in the campaign, he encouraged violence in his, among his supporters and pro, uh, against protesters in his campaign rallies. And here he's encouraging police departments to do the same thing. I, I thought it was disgusting that he said it and sickening to see police officers. Look, I understand. They were in the presence of the United States, you know, the big deal. All the cameras are there. There's a crowd of supporters in front of him, you know, so they get the whole kind of juice going, but they should have known better to, than to applaud a line like that. It really, made them, it really made them look bad, and it made police officers all around the country look bad, and thank God the Suffolk County Police Department, where, where um, the president was, they responded almost immediately saying, uh-uh, we distance ourselves and we repudiate the comments of the president of the United States. We, this is not the way we treat people. We are def- this is not our policy. We are definitely against this policy, and, and the president is wrong, which marks the second time in a week that the president was rebuked, repudiated, corrected, that people apologized 
or remarks made by the President of the United States. The Boy Scouts had to do it after the President went up to the Jamboree and attacked Hillary Clinton and attacked Barack Obama and got very, very political and talked about a wild sex party on a yacht in the New York Harbor to the Boy Scouts. Uh, the Boy Scouts said, we're sorry we invited him. And the Suffolk, police, Suffolk County Police Department basically said the same thing. We're sorry we invited him. The President of the United States. Pretty soon you won't be able to take him and invite him anywhere, right? A scout is trustworthy, loyal. We could use some more loyalty, I will tell you that. Yeah, use some more loyalty. So all of that happening. And then, of course, God, I'm telling you, what a three days it was. This weekend was just wild. And then we got to the end of the road. We think we got to the end of the road. Donald Trump doesn't want it to be the end of the road. It looks like the end of the road for uh, health care, which is you've got to stop and just say, what a colossal, just humiliating defeat this is for the Republican Party and for Donald Trump. Seven years they had. Seven years they went around saying, you give us the power, we're going to re- Peel Obamacare. Seven years, and they never came up with a plan for replacing Obamacare with anything. Seven years, and they finally get all the power they could ever have. They get the House, they get the Senate, they get the White House. And they rig the system so they cut out the Democrats, they don't have any hearings. They don't have a regular order or regular process. They rig the system so nobody can filibuster it. So all you need is 51 votes. They grease the skids, and they can't deliver. What, a, what a, again, a humiliating loss for Mitch McConnell, for the Republican Party, and for Donald Trump. you gotta, you got to start right there. And we saw it happen in front of our eyes, right? They, they, they forced John McCain back here, and we blasted him last week for voting to proceed with open order. But even, even once they got that and get it on the floor, they couldn't pass the repeal and replace. They couldn't pass the repeal only. And then they come up to the repeal, the skinny repeal, and give the skinny replacement, and they couldn't get the votes for that either. And, by the way, we blasted him last week for doing the wrong thing. We give him credit this week for having the balls, for having the courage, having the backbone to do the right thing. John McCain voted against it in a very dramatic fashion, uh, and the bill is dead. Now, right away, Donald Trump is out there. Over the weekend, Donald Trump and all of his uh, acolytes saying, we can't, we just can't leave it here. we got to keep going. we got to keep going. They can't keep going because they got nothing else left. they got nothing to go to right now. This is interesting because in Donald Trump's Twitter feed over the weekend. About 51 votes. He went on this thing about the 51 votes. If the Senate Democrats ever got the chance, they would switch to a 51 majority vote in the first minute. They are laughing at Republicans. Make the change. I don't think he understands. They did make the change. I don't think he understands that this wasn't a matter of getting over the 60-vote threshold for repealing Obamacare. They couldn't even get 50 votes. 50. 50. 5-0. They couldn't get it. Right. They had Mike Pence on the floor talking to people, cajoling people. They had Donald Trump on the phone with John McCain at 1.30 in the morning. So, the, you know, Donald Trump lives in a parallel universe again. All this stuff. And what 
if you're a Republican in the Senate and the president is, is, is obviously, first of all, he's attacking you, fellow Republicans, and then so clearly does not understand the process and doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. That, 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 they're losing any respect, respect for him, any confidence for him. And certainly, any, I think his ability to get anything done with these people is vastly diminishing. Yeah. Every, every day. Every day diminishes. You know, I was thinking about this on the way in today, actually, because I was thinking, like, what a weird reality we would live in, be living in, if we had, you know, President Ted Cruz. You know, if Donald Trump had lost that primary. Ted Cruz would have gotten this done. I hate to say it. You're Don't dead. you think? Absolutely. I mean, you look at what Donald Trump did to get health care done. That makes me shudder as I know. to what it might have been. I, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. But, like, Donald Trump made no case for health care. He doesn't understand how it works, so he couldn't go out there and twist arms and make the case publicly. He was too busy shouting about the his own attorney general and how bad he is yeah. and everything else. He never went out there and said, made the yeah. case for health care. And his health care plan, or Trump care, he never once made the case. All he's doing is shouting and yelling about the, the, the uh, Republican senators. He's either attacking the Democrats for being obstructionist or the Republicans for being too weak. Yeah. Yeah. Like th- yeah. Look, This is, again, from his Twitter feed over the weekend. Unless the Republican senators are total quitters, repeal and replace is not dead. Demand another vote before yeah. voting on any other bill. Now, the Republican senators know that their hands are tied and they're backed into a corner. They can't really do anything. No. But this guy's going to make them look even dumber than they are. Right. There are two there are two options, it seems to me, friend. That's a big question I've always asked. Where do we go from here? The one option is that Donald Trump and Tom Price, HHS secretary, will just use now every bureaucratic tool they can to uh, undercut and destroy Obamacare by any, any way they can do it. Taking money away from the states, taking money away from the subsidies, whatever, just making sure that it does, in fact, fail or implode the way Donald Trump insists that it has done, but it hasn't yet, but they could maybe make it happen. And the other way is to do, the other, only other option is to do what they should have done in the first place, and that is have regular order, have regular hearings, include Democrats in the process, find out, forget about the repeal nonsense, find out the problems, agree on the problems with Obamacare, and then get together Republicans and Democrats and fix them. Susan Collins, who has been the lone sane voice, or the leading sane voice, certainly, in the Senate from the very beginning, this is the point she made yesterday. Donald, uh, John McCain has, had made the same point uh, in his speech on the Senate floor last week. Let's, let's realize we got to work together to get anything done here. Here's Susan Collins yesterday on one of the Sunday shows. I've made very clear that I believe we would produce far better legislation if we went through the normal process of having committee hearings, hearing from health care providers, from insurance regulators, from advocacy group, from governors, from everyone involved, and then produce bipartisan legislation with input from both Democrats and Republicans. There she is, Susan, Susan Collins, and she is absolutely correct. Before we move on, Barbara, we're going to be talking uh, health care with uh, Roshana Pradhan from uh, Politico, uh, and then uh, taking a look at uh, the fate of Jess Sessions a little bit later with Ryan Riley from HuffPo, senior justice reporter. Dan Zack from the Washington Post is in with paperback is out now of his new book on nuclear uh, resistance to nuclear weapons here in this country called Almighty. 
he'll be joining us as well. By the way, quick thing on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, we just put up a poll. Will Republicans shorten their recess and return to D.C. for another health care vote? That is the big question. Donald Trump does not seem to be ready to let go of the health care vote. Republicans seem to be ready to move on past it. But will they actually come back and try again? That is our poll, which you could get or vote on at BP show. Interestingly enough, we did put up a poll on Friday asking mm-hmm. how much longer Wright's Priebus would last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wasn't. But people thought he, would, he was going to last a week. That was the majority. But, uh, of course, he didn't even last. But the, the before, he was, before he resigned, only 16% thought uh, that he would be gone that day. So He didn't even last. Shout out to those 16% of you who Uh, got right. But what we did not realize is that he had actually resigned the day before. That's That's true. That's That's true. That wasn't an option. That's right. Yeah, right. Nobody (laughs) nobody knew that, right? So, okay. Take a quick break. Come back and talk uh, more about where we go. What could be the next step on health care and who is going to lead uh, the way? We'll be right back. Uh, Maybe the president should put down his... Uh, stop his twi- twittering, tweeting for a while. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go on the 31st day of July 2017. It is the uh, Bill Press Show. Live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, live from our studio on Capitol Hill, right here just down the street from the United States Capitol, and brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work, and you can check out all the many things that they're up to um, in various, all various parts of this country at their website at teamster.org. Yes, indeed, for now, it looks like uh, a healthy health care effort to pass uh, health care legislation to repeal and replace so-called Obamacare. Uh, is has failed and is dead for the moment. Although over the weekend, uh, the president's advisors were out there saying, no, we can't stop here. We've got to keep going. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, the budget director uh, on Fox, I think he was. State yesterday. of the Union. State of the Union, I'm sorry, saying, come on, you can't vote on anything else till you get this done. In the White House's view, they can't move on in the Senate. In the the people's view, they should move on in the Senate. They should stay and work and figure out a way uh, to solve this problem. Keep in mind, um, you're talking about something they've promised to do for seven years. You can't promise folks you're going to do something for seven years and then not do it. White House attacking the Republicans as if they were Democrats. Uh, Rachana Pradhan is the healthcare reporter for Politico. How'd I do with that first name that time? You did a great job. All right, I got <laughs> it. it. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. Sure, thanks yeah. for having me. Uh, you've been following and reporting on this whole uh, process uh, from the beginning. So I- is it dead, or are we going to see another uh, another attempt to pass a bill? What do you think? So I, I think um, we can't ever say it's totally dead. Um, because there, there are always going to be some Republicans that will try to come back at this. 
Um, but I will say, I think after last week, you know, the Republicans' momentum is is really just evaporated, I think, because of just the vote that we saw early Friday morning um, where the latest bill went down. And so, uh, as maybe some of our listeners know, there is a proposal from Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Bill Cassidy, and now I think Senator Dean Heller, to go about this in a different way. But we haven't seen any indication from um, Senate leadership that they're willing to advance it. So we just have to see. Yeah. What what does Mitch McConnell want? I have the sense that Mitch McConnell, the last thing he wants is continued debate on health care. He'd rather move on to tax reform or got anything else, right? Well, I think, yeah, on early Friday morning when um, the latest legislation went down, he said it's time to move <laughs> on. I think he means that. Um, and because this, it, it's a lot of uh, political capital that's been spent on health care so far. I think this has taken way longer than anyone thought, even that the Republicans say that it would take to repeal Obamacare. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Awesome. We're so, done doing it on day one. Right. So we're on the verge of it being August. And how much time can they spend on this? I'm sure they want to show that they can get something done. And healthcare right now is not that thing. Trump won't let it go, though. That's what I find so interesting. I mean, he's still over the weekend. Just it was a yeah. constant barrage of healthcare tweets from Trump. And so, I mean, it is interesting that I, I think that his goal is to get rid of or repeal or do away with everything that Barack Obama put into place. And so it's really hard to do that if you don't get rid of Obamacare. I just don't, I don't think he understands how to move past it. I don't think he understands how to get rid of it, but he just knows he's got to get rid of it. Well, one interesting question is whether you, if your goal as Donald Trump is to say, okay, let's not just give up yet, right? That's that's too early to just give up. If the best way of achieving that is to continue, is to attack the Republican senators doesn't seem to me that that's a very effective way of, of these are professional grown men of a lot more experience in Washington than Donald Trump has and women and I say. thank you <laughs> yes yeah. but no I, I I think right I mean he needs them so I I think attacking um, senators over the weekend right that the tweet storm was in full force um, raging against Republican senators and I think that that's not going to be the way to sway them. In fact, last week, um, part of what we saw was we saw some pretty uh, notable strong arm tactics from the administration to try to get Republican mm-hmm. senators to vote yes, and they didn't work. Didn't work, right? I mean, Lisa Murkowski got the whole pressure. We're going to take money away from your parks in Alaska. Right. Um, uh, the vice president spoke to Senator McCain for probably at least a half hour. It's probably longer than that. Uh, the president called Senator John McCain. He still voted no. Right. Uh, and I think there were some threats against Susan Collins. Now, in his speech last week, the, the first day back, uh, Senator McCain, one of the points that he made was that we are, we have to, we should get back to regular order for an issue like this. This is too big uh, to decide just by sort of a little closed-door, smoke, smoke-filled room kind of way, uh, the way Mitch McConnell had done it. And we played this just before the break. I want to play again Susan Collins making this point uh, yesterday uh, as well that now this is the opportunity to do maybe what we should have done in the first place. 
I've made very clear that I believe we would produce far better legislation if we went through the normal process of having committee hearings, hearing from health care providers, from insurance regulators, from advocacy group, from governors, from everyone involved, and then produce bipartisan legislation with input from both Democrats and Republicans. Now, that I believe is the way to go. But one thing for sure is if you went that way, it would take some time. It would take time. And also, I think the issue with um, regular order, um, we have to remember that both parties have very different goals as to what they want. So Democrats aren't going to work with Republicans until Republicans drop this so-called repeal crusade. Right. Right. So that's that's one thing. But Republicans can't, as we've talked about, let that go very easily. Um, the but, base still wants it, and there are Republican senators who very much want to repeal the ACA. But if you go down that road, there again, aren't enough we'll of see them, what, though. There, right. there aren't enough of them. They're just going to have to. Those right. those extremists are not going to get their way. We'll and, have to see what they have to agree on. What their goal is first, right. I think, before we get to anything like regular order. Right. But uh, so, so so you hear Susan Collins. We heard John McCain. There's a group in the House. I forget what they're called now, but it's like a problem-solving caucus, right? Right. They're called the Problem Solvers Caucus, yeah, which yeah. makes us wonder what the rest of them are known as if, if you have 40, <laughs> or 40 or so of them with this name. Yes, but there there is a bipartisan group. And they've been, they have been working on health care under the, under the radar sort of thing, right? Republicans and Democrats right. to try to shape together a bipartisan bill. I guess my question is, so is this ever going to happen? I mean, and, you, you know, Chuck Schumer has been saying that we're ready to we're ready to work together. We've had I don't know, two dozen at least members of Congress sitting right where you are today, Democrats all who said we're ready, you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh, if if they come to us, open the door, we're ready to work together. Is that ever going to happen? I, you know, it's a dangerous game to make predictions this year because most of the time right. we've been wrong, but um I don't know. I I think that if they get enough buy-in and there's enough public pressure, I think obviously we know that the biggest problems with the ACA have been on the private insurance market. There have been, this year in particular, was was kind of rough. There were a lot of premium increases and yeah. declines in insurance offerings um, all over the country, and that might continue for next year. And so I think, will there be some momentum to try to get some fixes through? Yes. But fundamentally, I think for a lot of Democrats, Republicans are going to have to say, okay, we're not going to repeal it. We're going to fix it. And that's a very big step as a party for them to do that. And I think we haven't really seen yet. They they haven't quite said, of course, it's time to move on, but they haven't said we're stopping this repeal request or quest and we're going to just fix it. And I think if they do that, we haven't seen the pressure that groups on the right are going to put on them and just how angry they're going to be. But isn't it also true, and some of these town meetings have shown, and I've seen a lot of interviews um, on TV and, and in print, where Republicans may have achieved something which Barack Obama could never achieve, which is making Obamacare popular. <laughs> that is true that as soon as... Um, the threat once, of it was now. Once of it people being get taken on away. it, yeah. Right? 
Well, right. I mean, there's a reason why a, a social benefit this large has never been taken away in, in our yeah. nation's history, yeah. right? right? It's it's very difficult to do. No, I've um, seen a lot of people who said, oh, gee, I was for this repeal until I realized that meant I was going to lose my health care. Right. Which happens to be Obamacare, right? Or Medicaid. Right. Well, right. Most of the coverage gains through Obamacare were actually through the Medicaid program. And so now I think people are realizing that there is a tie right. and that they don't want it taken away from them. All right. So there's one other, um, we've talked about a couple of different options. There's one other option that is out there um, that some people say, all right, this is the opportunity for that one. And uh, Bernie Sanders is expected to introduce legislation um, maybe this week. Uh, and he talked about it uh, yesterday. He was on State of the Union. Um, uh, he doesn't call it so much single payer anymore as Medicare for all, if we have that, Jamie. Here's Bernie Sanders. If the Republicans had gotten their way, there would have been another 30 or 32 million people thrown off of health insurance. That is crazy. What we should do is move in the direction of every other major country, guarantee health care to all people as a right, not a privilege. So there is, yeah, single payer, Medicare for all. Is this the time? And we know in the House, John Conyers, who has had this bill for a long time. Remember, it was used to be John Conyers and Dennis Kucinich who had this legislation. Mm -hmm. They have more sponsors this year than ever before. Right. Well, so all Democrats, by the way. <laughs> so personally, I don't, I don't see a lot of uh, great prospects for single payer legislation. I just think it's. It's, it's enormously difficult to do. And the, the thing about that type of bill is even if um, Democrats like um, a lot of prominent Democrats, including Senator Sanders, can make an argument for it, uh, the question is how to pay for it. And that's usually where it gets pretty ugly. And all you have to say is, well, it would require this type of tax increase. And that, you know, puts it kind of puts the kibosh on that. Um, so I the thing is, is even when Democrats um, as you know, had control of Congress back when the ACA was being debated. They tried to do a government-run insurance plan as a part of the ACA, and they couldn't even get support for that because moderate Senate Democrats weren't on board with it. And well, so, I yeah, I, I would give you a little pushback on that. I think the reason that was the so-called public plan option, mm -hmm. which what happened to us, Barack Obama just dropped it like a hot potato. They could have gotten <laughs> the votes for it. Barack Obama ran away from it. Um, but... Uh, th which is isn't that maybe the way to go? Which is I don't think I'm I'm a single payer guy, right? Mm -hmm. I would dispute you on the cost too because I think studies have shown that and uh, th that there is a way to pay for it without raising everybody's taxes. But at any rate, we'll get into that some other time. <laughs> but my point is, if, sing if single payer, if it does come, and I think it will eventually come. It will come a little bit at a time, not all at once. It's not going to be one fell swoop, you know, you just put all insurance companies right. or doctors out of business. But uh, like Bernie has also said, once uh, every state should have the option of going, of trying a single payer plan mm -hmm. if they want to. Well, they can do that right now. They, they can under Obamacare. Right. right. They can under the ACA. And so then, then that, so that's in there. Now put the single payer or the public plan option. Mm -hmm back in some, whatever you want to call it, amended form of Obamacare, or one of the fixes would be to offer a public plan option, So, people, which means you could get into Medicare mm -hmm. if you're 55 or whatever. Right, and there, there have been discussions uh, recently about putting some sort of government-run 
option um, yeah. alongside all the private plans mm-hmm. and the exchanges, mm-hmm. especially uh, in parts of the country where they don't have any options, you yeah. know, so-called yeah. bear counties. So I think that, that that's definitely an interesting idea. We'll see if it if it comes up again uh, as a t- you know part of this discussion about fixes. Um, I will say though the the thing that is difficult I think is what we would have to watch is to see how, uh, in particular, Democrats in the Senate who are up for re-election in 2018 and represent states that President Trump overwhelmingly won. Uh, so we have North Dakota, Indiana. Um, you know, just to name a handful, we have to see how those senators would would respond kind of to that sort of proposal. And I guess the other question is, because uh, you've raised the, the political reality here, who owns Medicare? Uh, who owns health care now as an issue? Oh, just the, so the ACA Do Republicans mean, own just... it? Do Republicans own it yet? You know, I everybody think... said... Democrats, this is yours, baby. This is Obamacare. And they did. They owned it for the last seven years, right? Um, at some point, certainly if the Republicans had passed a plan, they would own it. Right. I, I think there I has think been, they already do. I think it's, it's theirs now. Well, there has been polling done that has shown, um, actually, that if there are problems with the ACA from here on out, that voters will think Republicans are responsible for that because they know that Republicans control Congress and they control the White House. Yeah. So there are things that may happen um, even without Congress. Um, the president and the Trump administration can make certain decisions that could definitely undermine the ACA, if not just make it implode outright. And people, I think polling has shown that, that people would blame Republicans for problems if that were to occur. Well, it, it's I'm, I'm glad you, you you mentioned that because um, I think I, I mentioned this earlier. There are sort of like two options, I, I believe, right now at this point. One is for both parties to get together, open process, work together, as you pointed out, unlikely mm-hmm. or not, not not so easy. But I believe that's the proper part. The other is for Donald Trump and Tom Price to do everything they can bureaucratically. Um, to undercut Obamacare and make it implode, make it fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of things could they do? So the biggest thing, and the president has suggested we might, uh, over the weekend on Twitter, suggested we might see something on this this week. Um, there are these. I'd say I'd be sound like I'm surprised, but I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's fairly routine now, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Government um, by Twitter. Yeah. Right. So there are these subsidies that help um low-income Obamacare enrollees pay for their basically co-pays, deductibles, things mm-hmm. like that. They're worth about $7 billion this year. The Trump administration could just decide to stop paying those to insurance companies. That would basically make the markets tank all over the country because insurance companies have said, um, I mean, they, they their contracts are contingent on receiving that funding. Let's and, just make sure we understand. These are the poorest of Americans. Right, who not who are, not are on Medicaid, but the ones who are on private insurance, yes. Private insurance, but so they're just a little bit above qualifying for Medicaid. Right. Right. And the only way they could, even then, the only way they could afford that insurance is with a government subsidy. Right. And the subsidy is, is graded depending on mm-hmm. what your income level is, how much of a subsidy you can get, right? Right. It's sort of like the heart and soul of Obamacare, right. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, right. And what you're saying is that Donald Trump is saying, in order to achieve my goal of making Obamacare fail, 
I will take money away from the people who need it the most. Right. So he could, he there you could go. take that. He could God take bless that America, away. right? Works, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So is this what they call a compassionate conservative? <laughs> I don't know what they call this. Yeah. It's barely a conservative. We haven't, we haven't heard that in a while. I know, right? No, we haven't. Right. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, he could he could do that, and I think that he de- the yeah. Trump has advisors who have told him or warned him to not do that. He's threatened this previously. He threatened him months ago to bring as a way to you know basically bring Democrats to the table to work with him on repeal. So this isn't an, a new threat. Um, but I think now that but you the talk about owning side, it. Yeah. You talk about owning it. If he did that, I mean, they own it, baby, right? That's yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. By the way, just a, a little tangent on the. Of course, we know who the compassion conservative was. George W. Bush ran as as a compassion conservative in certain two thousand. But I was thinking over the weekend, Peter. Imagine what George W. Bush would have done if somebody in if his communications director had issued that string of expletives that oh Scaramucci did? How long do you think Scaramucci would have lasted? He would, he would have been done. He would have been toast immediately. George Bush personally would have kicked his ass out the door. <laughs> yeah. He would have. Yeah. So would his father, you know? Yeah. So would literally any other president. So would Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Donald Trump just... That, he loves this. He chuckled. Yeah, he loves no, this. No, he did. He loves yeah. this. Uh, I was talking to a couple of reporters uh, over the weekend who said that... Um, that the the it, the word unofficially is that Trump was disgusted at Priebus because Priebus did not come back with even stronger language. <laughs> yeah, he was calling Priebus weak because he did not respond to Scaramucci. Yeah, look, this is everything we know about Trump. Everything we know it's, about isn't Trump. Isn't that disgusting? Yeah, of course it is. But I mean, this this is I mean that, that's that's the reality that we live in now. Everything we know about Trump is that he likes the knife fight. He likes the people around him to pull out knives and fight each other on the ground of the Oval Office if, yeah. need, if need be. So the fact that they were fighting publicly in such a nasty way, he he ate it up. Yeah. What's your thing? Sorry to take time away from your health care. <laughs> That's Sorry. okay. It's been, it's been an interesting time for sure. <laughs> Lots of news. <laughs> uh, so we'll see, I mean, whether uh, the Republicans in the Senate have the stomach to do what Donald Trump wants, which is to pick up this fight all over again, uh, having faced such an embarrassing week last week. I think the answer is no, right? I think they need, first of all, they certainly need some time out, yes. if anything. If yeah. they're going to pick it up, they can't just continue. So are they? what's the word? Are they going to stay now for two weeks in August, or are they just going to get the hell out of town? Um. So the Senate, well, the House is gone, so the yeah. Senate... Um, they do have something on the calendar later on for this evening. I think it's a nomination or something they have to deal with. Um, so we don't know yet when they're leaving. I would guess senators like to go home. Lawmakers like to go home to their districts in August. I think they will not be here the full two weeks. Like Leader McConnell said, we're willing to stay here for the first two weeks of August. I would say maybe this week. But I don't think we're going to see anything on health care a serious movement for this first half of August. Because mm-hmm. to your point, it, it's going to take a lot for these guys to take it up again. I think it's it's going down that painful road of, okay, we're going to start debate on something again, and again, not knowing whether it's going to pass or fail or not. And How they, many failed votes can you have? It's really difficult. Yeah, uh, and, and they do have to pass a budget, not pass a budget, but they have to at least keep the government running, right? Right. I mean, they there haven't passed a budget they... in how many years? I don't know, but... 
Right. There they, are things they, they have to get done by the end of September that are must pass, you know, unless they pass short term extensions. But they, they have a lot to get done. And they really do want to do something on tax reform. Yes. Is there a bill? Uh, I have not seen a bill. but Maybe my colleagues would know better who cover taxes. But I do think there was an announcement, some sort of joint announcement last week, but I don't think it had many details on what the plan was. No. I mean, so they're, they're really, you're right. right. They're, I think they came out with a one-pager or something right. like but that. But don't hold me to that because no, I've been I in understand. a healthcare that, bubble. No, I know. That's, you're, you're in the healthcare bubble. But yeah. no. But I mean, the point is they've got other stuff. They have other priorities too. For so sure. they can't just continue to do nothing but healthcare for, for whatever. Um, well, you got to say it has been um, uh, an embarrassing run for the Republicans so far, and here they are. Here we are now. The first, uh, just about, we're into August, just about, right? And uh, their number one legislative priority that they were going to deliver on day one still is far, far, far from becoming a reality. Rachana, it's nice to see you. Thank you so much. Thanks for first having First visit me. to the studio? Yes. Right? Yeah, all right. Come back again because this issue is not going to go away. No, it's not. <laughs> and we'll come back and talk Justice Department with Ryan Riley from HuffPost. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Reince Priebus is out. John Kelly is in. Yeah, but the problem is Donald Trump is still there. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? They're not going to fix the problems around the White House as long as he's in charge. It is the Bill Press Show. This is Monday, July 31, and it's so good to see you. Thank you for uh, jumping on board as we uh, continue to bring you the news of the day from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Bringing you up to date on the latest in the Congress, at the White House, around the country, around the globe. Uh, and uh, with Donald Trump keeping up with his latest attacks on uh, or undercutting of uh, Jeff Sessions while he goes up to New York and tells police department um, or law enforcement officials that they should rough up their political prisoners uh, because that's who he is, right? <laughs> He told his supporters at rallies during the campaign that's what he should be doing. Anyhow, we'll bring you up to date on all of it and look forward to hearing from you, your comments uh, on all the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And to talk about everything in the field of uh, the um, Justice Department and the beleaguered Attorney General, as Donald Trump calls him, Ryan Riley, our good friend from uh, HuffPost, is in studio with us. Hi, Ryan. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in Sure. early in the morning. Yeah. Uh, we will jump into all the news of the day and lots of it to talk about. But first, 
This is Peter the here. Full Court Press. As you know. Just a couple of other stories making news. It's Monday, so let's take a look at the box office. What was number one? Well, oh, <coughs> Dunkirk. Dunkirk was number one. Again, it's the second week in a row, bringing its gross domestic total $102.8 million. Pretty steep drop off. The second place was. The Emoji Movie. <laughs> oh, really? The Emoji Movie. 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. 8%. 8% is pretty terrible. It still managed to bring in $25.7 million. Have you seen Dunkirk yet? Uh, no, have you? I did. I saw it this weekend. And? Uh, I saw it in the 70 millimeter format, and it is yes. remarkable. Oh man, I gotta gotta see it it in the 70. Is Uh, that IMAX? What is that? It's bigger than a regular screen that's shot in 70 millimeter. They're showing it it, here in town. I saw it at AFI, the American Mm -hmm. Film Institute Theater, which is the best theater in in the area. Silver Spring, right? Silver Spring, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's a remarkable movie. Anybody think that it's thinks it's going to be like kind of a boring ish? No, like uh, it starts out. Did you it, see it, right? Yeah, I saw it, yeah. It yeah. starts out with like a two-by-four to the face. <laughs> no. And it doesn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> and you no, just... That's what I've heard. Uh, uh, but I want to see it in that lo- bigger format. You should. Uh, you should take the trip to go see it. I, I encourage you to do that. Okay. It's really, really good. If you go to Macon, Georgia, and you go to the local hospital, <laughs> you will <Right>. find <laughs> a McDonald's inside. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They, so the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine put out several ads that are actually just outside of the hospital. Does greasy chicken feed disease? Uh, they also say heart disease. I'm not loving it. Because they say you really should not have a hospital that has a McDonald's inside. This is the Navicent Health Medical Center in Macon, Georgia, that literally has a McDonald's inside. Folks. Not a good idea. No. Bill, what would you do if uh, you were in a hospital where there was a McDonald's? <laughs> well, what could I do? I right? choose death. I wouldn't go to. <laughs> I, I choose death. I wouldn't go to the McDonald's, but I choose death. But I don't know. so I go for hospital food. I guess. <laughs> what are my choices? And one final story. There's a Starbucks in the in the George Washington GW, University yeah. GW Hospital. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, it's not great for you, to, but like you know, a little frappuccino as you're recovering. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> One final quick story. Anthony Scaramucci, we know, is the new uh, White House uh, communications director. Well, his wife has left him. She filed for divorce nine months pregnant, actually gave birth to a child. He didn't meet the child for four days. Congratulations. He was working with Trump. Again, what a low life. Yeah. Yeah. Not he'd, rather, he'd rather be on Air Force One with the president than be there with his wife. birthday. <laughs> your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show what do you say folks great to see you today it is monday july 31 this is the bill press show yes good to see you ryan's Priebus is out john kelly is in but the man in charge remains the same so don't expect any big changes around the white house uh, bottom line is john kelly can fix a lot he can't fix donald trump uh, that's not going to change. And one of the ways we see Donald Trump not changing is his uh, a constant undermining, berating, tweeting against his own attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Ryan Riley covers the Justice Department 
and justice-related issues for HuffPost in studio with us. Is Sessions going to survive? Oh, that's tough to say. I mean, I think he wants to hang it out right now, um, but it's not clear if that's going to be something he's going to be able to do because of these extraordinary. I mean, this is a this is a moment to sort of step back and recognize what's happening here. I mean, you just have to take a minute and say, okay, you have the president of the United States publicly undermining his own attorney general in one interview, in two interviews, in a press conference, in a tweet, in a tweet, in a tweet, three days consecutively, like. And there was a lot happening next week. This wasn't something that he needed to yeah. weigh in on. In the Rose Garden. <laughs> like, in the Rose Garden right. at a news conference. I don't know right? if you remember. We had a health care vote last week. There yeah. were a lot of other things going on. And for him to just, like, undermine his, his attorney general, this guy who was, you know, starting, um, who was one of his first sort of <coughs> supporters, definitely his first supporter in the Senate, and then sort of undermining and belittling, uh, I suppose, his, his early support for him is sort of extraordinary. You also have this weird scenario where now a lot of liberals are like, yeah, hang in there, Jeff Sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Like, <laughs> you wouldn't I, you wouldn't think you'd be seeing that. No. But, you know, in uh, I, I mean, um, Sessions, pardon me, gave an interview to uh, to Tucker Carlson on on, mm-hmm. on Fox. He talked to AP. Um, I think it's the Washington Post or the New York Times this morning. It reports that uh, he's it, he told John Cornyn at a little dinner party at Cornyn's house, you know, yeah, this is really bad. This really hurts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you say, he seems to be determined to hang Hang in there. Um, Sessions on Fox News last week. Yeah. It's kind of hurtful, but the president of the United States is a strong leader, and he wants all of us to do our jobs, and that's what I intend to do. God. So yeah. can you imagine no. having to do that? So he's, I mean, anything about the scenario, can you imagine? No. Like a, no, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So he's trying to take the high road, but at the same time, you know. Now, mm-hmm. And like last week, I was here at the White House, and he, he was there at the White House. Mm-hmm. Trump didn't see him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they now, apparently that, haven't spoken for more than a week. Right. Yeah. So there's going to be a cabinet meeting today. Mm. Uh, God, I hope they don't go all around the room again and everybody have to say <laughs> how much we love you. The last time last time was Range Priva saying how blessed yeah. we are <laughs> to be able to, to to be able to work with you, Mr. President. <laughs> uh, but sessions will be there today, so I, I I guess they'll have to exchange a couple of words at any rate today, but um I I'm, yeah, he's trying to take the high road. He sort of wants to stay there. He certainly has his agenda as attorney general. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that he's, he was sort of emphasizing is that they are on the same page on a lot of issues, and he's, you know, immigration. Oh, <laughs> They're God. very much yeah. so on the same page. And, you know, that's what you've had a lot of conservatives say, like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Donald Trump? Stop attacking this guy who's going to help you implement your agenda. And it's one of the guys who can really, you know, actually get things done. Yeah, I mean, Democrats have been... Uh, you know, critical of Trump and and issuing some praise mm-hmm. of of session, but they must almost don't have to do it. Conservatives have been as critical of yeah. Trump. I yeah. mean, they love Sessions. Sessions is their guy, yeah. right? Yeah, more definitely. more so than Trump. Yeah, for many I mean, of them. Yeah, I think that they definitely want him to hang in there, especially because you you know Grassley tweeted out last week. That you know, I think it, the no like no way for another AG being oh, confirmed yeah, this yeah. year. Um, I mean, it would be difficult. It would be an extraordinary sort of situation. And his options for replacing Sessions are somewhat limited. He obviously doesn't like the deputy attorney general, guy who put in the special counsel in place. Um, so then he would sort of be stuck going with someone who had been confirmed within the Justice Department or someone who's in a high-ranking position with the, in the Justice Department for 90 days. A bunch of different rules that would go in there. It's a pretty large category of people that he could go with, but... These are sort of scenarios that you don't want to be exploring. You know, your be- your the best case scenario for Donald Trump is, I mean, 
if you're giving him political advice, he should stick with his attorney general. It would sort of be a mess otherwise. But at the same time, I read again this morning, they're having conversations in the White House. Donald Trump is part of these conversations yeah. about, can I get rid of him? Should I get rid of him? Mm -hmm. Or can I do it and survive politically, right? How bad is it going to be? Right. Maybe some of those conversations they should have had before they fired James <laughs> Comey, but apparently didn't. Uh, but they are having those conversations, and they are talking about possible replacements. I mean, yeah. one, they talked about Giuliani last week, right? Yeah. And then who did I see? Judge, uh, what's her name? You know, Janine Pirro. Janine Pirro. Uh, no. Yeah, her name was floated this morning. I mean, no. whether they could get anybody confirmed, but the fact that they are, they're discussing possible replacements for Sessions. Yeah, I mean, they're discussing a lot of things, right? They're discussing yeah, pardoning right. his own family member, which is a shocking and would sort of be a, um, you know, a month-long story in right. any other presidency, but not this one. Yeah. Um, uh, and isn't, but firing Sessions is just a part of the puzzle, right? When, when in, in his ideal world, right. Sessions would be gone, Rosenstein would be gone, and Mueller would be gone. Right. And and one of the advantage, one of the I think they see advantages of firing Sessions would be that whoever they, if they could get someone else confirmed, that person could fire Mueller directly. Right. Would that whereas Sessions can't because he's recused himself. Right. Right. And also, I mean, the president can't. <laughs> the president needs someone to fire to Mueller. Fi yeah. Right. Um, he can choose his attorney general. He can choose his deputy attorney general. But he needs someone to actually make that move, and he needs to put someone in that position who's willing to sort of take the heat in. So could Trump survive if he fired Sessions and Mueller? I mean, the, the thing is, it's really all political, is like what yeah. the underlying story about this is. There's not really legally, I mean, none. Yeah. Not that yeah. it ma does it matter. All, that's obviously I guess I am important. asking politically. Is, is, would that be enough to just tell the re for Republicans to say, oh, we can't, this, enough's enough? We I think can't. there are some, I mean, for Sessions, you see some support coming out for him, and that seems like, you know, somewhat of a line there between Grassley and Lindsey Graham has also been very supportive. So it, it's, it depends. I haven't answered this question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trump survives. They're, they're not going to turn on Trump. I don't know when we're going to wake up and realize that there's literally nothing that Trump can do that will make the Republicans, uh, the majority of Republicans on a whole, turn against him. It's not going to happen. It, it really, I, I, I don't know, unless his approval rating drops to a point where he becomes more of an anchor. Yeah. That's the only thing that will ever get them to leave Trump's side. You have seen some like extraordinary explanations for things that would sure. normally just be totally well, outside. The acrobatics. Of the, I mean, look, he went out and got caught on tape saying that he sexually assaulted women. And I know that this is something that we bring up a lot, but you really can't bring it up enough because these Republicans feigned outrage at first, and then almost all of that, I can't think of one person who full-on said, I won't vote for him and I won't support him, went back and said, at the very least, I'm going to vote for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's nothing that he can do or say. Firing Robert Mueller or firing Jeff Sessions compared to that is nothing. You know who didn't back him up very well right after that sexual assault tape? Mm. Rice Priebus. Rice Priebus suggested he should drop out of the race after that tape. Right. Uh, so um, in your department, the president went up to um, New York uh, Friday to give a little talk about uh, MS-13 gangs. And yep. as always, he gets off on other tangents, um, suggesting that uh, one of the – and here are the police officers all lined up and back them with their white gloves on. And uh, the president, of course, had some – 
advice on how they should handle um, people that they, uh, that they may be taking in. When you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. In other words, just give everybody the Freddie Gray treatment, right? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it was a, sort of an extraordinary moment um, because, I mean, what you're let's be clear, what we're talking about here is is a felony. It's a federal criminal offense. Just like any Thank of this you. would be, yeah, yeah this was yeah. it's a crime. So he was in, encouraging or giving a wink, nod, nudge, nudge to cops committing crimes. And what's extraordinary there too is, that, I mean, you know. Suffolk County specifically, the former police chief is actually in federal prison yes, right now yes. um, because he beat someone who stole, I believe, like some maybe some sex toys or some pornography from the back of his car. Very bizarre <laughs> story. Um, and like sort of took it, you know, individual <laughs> yeah. revenge, did a sort of thing that Trump this, was, you know, this you police know, department sort of has a real problem with this. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and just credit, as you say, this guy's in in prison. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and there are other instances of just you know that's that is a crime. Like, I mean, it, is it is it prosecuted as frequently as it probably could be for someone? You know, what he was suggesting is you know slamming someone's head on yeah. um, the door of a you know uh, of when they're getting in the vehicle or something of that nature. And I mean, that's a that's a crime. I mean, what you're talking about here an assault. You're talking about, and it's kind of you know it's a cowardly move too because you're talking about someone who has their hands like. Yeah, they're tied strange. up behind their back. Yeah. yeah, sure. There's nothing, you know. There's nothing proud, or there's nothing respectable or tough about that. And what it does is it undermines your relationship with the community. And I mean, when you see just watching that moment and seeing the president of the United States sort of endorsing police brutality, I mean, what does that do? How does that? That's not going to build up any confidence in the police department. And that's really what's important here for police departments to get their job done and be able to solve crime is to have a good relationship with the community. But oh. if you see a bunch of cops around there, you know, laughing at when the president jokes about slamming some heads into doors of people who are presumed innocent of any any crime when they're arrested um, and not been found guilty of anything. Um, that's I mean, that's extraordinary. People can get arrested for very minor things. You know, I mean, and that's yeah. Yeah. that's a scary thing. No. And uh, you're right. And the police officers in back of them um, chuckled, giggled, and applauded. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, the police department itself, Suffolk County, came out with a statement basically right. repudiating what the president said, that they don't agree with him and it was wrong. Yeah. Just, to, it be, is a crime. just to be clear, last week we had the Boy Scouts of America have to yes. come out and say, hey, we're sorry about what the president said. And then mm-hmm. we had to have a bunch of different... Cops organizations come out and say, "Hey, yeah, don't. Sorry about that. What the president said. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how many Republicans actually defended the president. Oh, come on, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. He it was. There's a lot of that. There's yeah. a lot of it was a yeah. joke. Oh, it's just a joke. Yeah, right. This is kind of a joke. This is the same way during his campaign mm-hmm. in the rallies where he said, "Come, come on, punch him out. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about getting, you know, sued. I'll pay for the costs." Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean he actually said that, encouraging. The thing is, it's kind of like something your uncle might say. Like, it kind of is like a little bit along those lines of like, oh, like these, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, why would you be soft on criminals, blah, 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 that sort of thing. And But this is the president of the United States, and he's speaking in, I mean, a role that he he oversees, the, you know, the Justice Department, which <laughs> had any of these officers been, you know, investigated for slamming heads on, on doors, that's something that would fall under their purview. And, you know, that would, I'm sure that some criminal defense attorney somewhere is going to be bringing these comments and say, yeah, you know, this is whatever sort of thing. I mean, look, it's endorsed by the president of the United States. Um, yeah. Uh, and also the sort of uh, what I thought was the, um, the hypocrisy throughout his remarks on Friday was that he was there praising 
law enforcement officers and and saying what a great job they do and how supportive I am and this administration will always be of law enforcement officers across the country while, as we just talked a little bit about, his number one law, the number one law enforcement officer in the country is the attorney general right. who is undermining every chance he can get. Yeah. Right. So I'll support every law enforcement officer except <laughs> the top. Yeah. Right. Except, yeah. Except my guy. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, he was, you know, Sessions was in um, El Salvador last week working on a lot of these dire- issues directly. So, I mean, I don't know when exactly this, the planning for this trip was sort of organized. You'd imagine it was probably a few weeks out. Was that speech scheduled? Was the AG's, you know, trip scheduled around the same time? You've got to imagine there is a tie in there, supposed to be a tie in there. And then you have Trump giving that speech and just completely not mentioning it all as top. Yeah. Guy has been working on these issues. Now, meanwhile, what what is happening at the Justice Department? Let, let, let's start on Mueller and the investigation are going forward unimpeded, correct? Yeah, that's that's apparently what's happening. We don't know the exact budget, but they've apparently been given um, what they need. We certainly should... hiring a lot of top people who are not cheap, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it seems like it's sort of cruising cruising forward. Um, you know, they've they've got offices. They're right near the federal courthouse downtown. Um, yeah. I think things are sort of cruising ahead in that direction, and and that's going to and that's going to take a while. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's there, right? Yeah, and it could. It, I mean, we we're dealing with a lot of issues. And here. hasn't Rosenstein wise, said that if Trump told ask him to fire Mueller, he would refuse to do so? I think it's pretty clear that he would yeah. do that. I mean, this is a career guy, at the Justice Department. Um, you you can't be have a respectable career if you sort of end up doing that move. That's I mean, that's a. Yeah. That's who you are. That's the top of your Wikipedia page. That's the yeah. you know, first line of your obituary. Um, so, I mean, that's would be an extraordinary move for anyone to take. And that's why Trump would have a difficult time finding someone to fill that position. I'm sure he could find someone, but it's not going to be someone of, of high caliber. I think some Republicans have basically said, forget about it. If you, you fire Sessions, forget about getting another attorney general. Yeah. Republicans have said, we just won't confirm anybody. Yeah. Um, the... Um, which raises a question about Christopher Ray, the new FBI director. Mm-hmm. Um, after what happened to James Comey, were you surprised that they could find anybody to take that job? It was interesting. I think he's well respected, and he—I mean, yeah. it was sort of. And his hearing, he seemed to come across as yeah. pretty confident. confident I mean, I th- think this was someone who. I mean, he was also making an extraordinary amount of money. So this is sort of you got to imagine a little bit of a a thing that he really cares a lot about the FBI and the integrity of the FBI, and that's probably what he was there for because he, he mentioned all these calls that he got from you know former prosecutors and people he used to work with encouraging him to take it, and that seemed to be what sort of pushed him um, over the line uh, because, I mean, the other cast of characters they were looking at for this position weren't, weren't so great um, necessarily or mm-hmm. the names that had been floating out there, but this is a guy who's well-respected on both sides of the aisle and... Um, seems like, you know, could have the confidence of, of agents online and also had a lot of good, nice things to say about James Comey at his hearing, which was yes, obviously sort yeah, of interesting. Right. Yeah. So um, we, we talked earlier a little bit about that Jeff Sessions definitely has an agenda at the Justice Department, which he is at least attempting to pursue when <laughs> he's not distracted <laughs> by tweets from his boss. Um, and I want to ask you about how he oh. is doing. I mean, like one of the planks is criminal justice. Well, before Sessions and before yeah. Trump, there was a bipartisan move even that even the Koch brothers supported to, for criminal justice reform, to do something about the sentencing particularly. 
uh, for nonviolent crimes. Jeff Sessions seems to be just going in the opposite direction. Yeah, he wasn't on board with that. Um, what's <laughs> interesting is that so he had this memo. So now he's out. trying to undo undo it all. Right. Correct? Yeah. Um, so the memo that came out in May that was really important here basically said that in every case you have to pursue the harshest penalty or the you know most the highest charge essentially, um, which is going to result in a lot of people spending more time in prison than they otherwise would have because you had this effort during the Obama era to sort of you know make the crime or make the charges fit the crime and not necessarily mm -hmm. have to go with the most aggressive charge in every case. Um, and what that's going to do is, you know, lengthen a lot of sentences. And, you know, right now we haven't seen the impact of that directly um, because actually, surprisingly, in the, the, the month after that memo was issued, we had the lowest number of federal drug cases ever in June um, or in modern history, at least. Um, so that was sort of pretty extraordinary um, to have that number still going down. So it's going to take a little bit of, of, a, of time, I think, to sort of flip those numbers and um, yeah, I mean, there are, but they're also banking on the cost savings. <laughs> like a lot of their budget, if you look at it, is all about using the money that they're saving by not sort of expanding the federal prison population because it's been going down slightly in recent years. So they're using that cost savings in other ways and in ways that will, in fact, expand the prison population essentially by, you know, prosecuting more of these well, I was going to say, if they're, if they're putting more people in prison, I mean, they're, they're just going to go right back up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but that so they're, they're pursuing that. And then the other big area, I guess, is in immigration. I mean, where he's just unleashed the dogs, right, in terms of maybe not literally dogs, but mm. ICE agents at any rate. Yeah, I mean, so that, that's a little The raids bit. are increasing and crackdown in sanctuary cities, the whole, right. so whole the, program. So Sessions, part of that is really uh, these immigration courts, which are courts in sort of name only, essentially, because it all falls under the Justice Department. Um who manages the judges and everything. So that's really where Sessions could have the most impact. In other words, they get up. the outcome that they want? Right, yeah. They could sort of speed right. that up and make sure that all those positions are full and get everyone, get the thing sort of pumping a little quicker for them, get people out of the country quicker. Yeah. Uh, and I, have, I have to interrupt. I know, okay. I know uh -oh. we're in the middle of talking. Oh, no. This is a Bill Press Show breaking news update. Uh -oh. Donald Trump went over 24 hours without tweeting. His last tweet was <laughs> at 7.37 a.m. yesterday morning when he was again shouting at the Republican senators to repeal and replace. He gets down to 51 votes. He has <laughs> broken that silence. He oh. just tweeted, if Obamacare is hurting people, comma, and it is, why shouldn't it hurt the insurance companies, and why should Congress not be paying what public pays? I'm going to read that again. Okay. I'm going to read that again, because it's <laughs> hard to take in. If Obamacare is hurting people, and it is, why shouldn't it hurt the insurance companies, and why should Congress not be paying what the public pays? So the first part of that, I think, is he is... <laughs> Uh, laying the groundwork for what's expected, which is an executive order which will take the subsidies away from the poorest of Americans. Well, the, those, as we just discussed with Rachana, yeah, those who don't qualify for Medicaid but still need a subsidy in order to buy insurance and taking those subsidies away, which means the insurance companies won't be getting that money, which means they're going to have to raise premiums. Uh, anyhow, I think that's what he means there. But that second part... The second part's a threat. It sounds like a threat. Two senators, uh, particularly Collins, Murkowski, and McCain. Yeah. Take away your health insurance? Take away your health care. Yeah. He wants to hurt the actual senators' health plans as a threat. So, like, he's a, he's he's on record now as wanting to hurt insurance right. companies. And hurt 
and her Republican senators. Republican senators. Well, I repeat what I said in the last half hour. I don't think the way to win friends among your fellow Republicans on the Hill is to threaten them. I, I, don't, I, think I don't think th- so. I don't think they like that kind of approach <laughs> or fall for it. Yeah. They've been around they've been around too long, right? It is amazing just like, you know, dissecting this tweet and dissecting yeah. some of the news on um, on the military last week where it was we had this, you know, the nine minute gap between that first tweet about what he was gonna do and then oh it turns out that it's about <laughs> this policy, you know, transgendered policy and what we're oh. <laughs> doing with that. I mean that was and this policy still hasn't been written out in any way and we're just sort of yeah, that the tweets were it right now. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know you know, the military said we don't know, we don't have any specific orders. So this tweet, like his Twitter account is like <laughs> this extraordinary powerful well, tool. It's just On weird the to subject of those transgender tweets, there were folks in the Pentagon for those 10 minutes yeah. who were terrified, thinking yeah. that he was about to announce something action against North Korea. You know, like it's, it's an awful way to do diplomacy. It's bad for everybody. Well, at this, yes. And in effect, the tweet is meaningless. I mean, it, it certainly is his intent of what he wants to happen. Mm-hmm. But nothing actually happened as a result of the tweet, right. or nothing will happen as a result of the tweet unless the tweet is followed up by an executive order mm-hmm. or a law passed by Congress, right? I or was. a presidential directive. I mean, you do not govern, you can't govern by tweet. It has no power of law, correct? I will say this, though. Actually, this plugs perfectly into my story on Huffington Post <laughs> this morning. Um, there, like that is true in most areas, not on pardons. On pardons, he could just tweet it. Like I've talked to constitutional scholars about this, he could just tweet it out, and that would be a declaration from the president of the United States. Because there's, like, in a lot of areas, there's a formal policy you're supposed to go to, right? The Constitution doesn't spell out that formal policy. If you just sort of have a public declaration, that can count. So if he just like says sort of the right combination of words on Twitter, he could pardon his own family member. He could pardon his family member by like a tweet. He could. Oh my God! What are, you, what are we doing? What world are we living in now? That Jesus. Yeah. It could just—it's a Wait, public declaration. Could he pardon himself with a tweet? So pardoning himself, I don't think there would be any difference between pardoning himself via tweet or pardoning himself in general. But pardoning himself, the president pardoning himself, is a murky area of constitutional law. But on just terms of just issuing tw- issuing tweets that pardon people. Pretty consistently, yes, you can do that. This is the way this whole charade is going to end. <laughs> Donald Trump tweet. will go out with a tweet pardoning himself. Oh, man. You watch. Hey, Ryan, it's great to see yeah. you. <laughs> uh, that, oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little off on the time. We gotta, but I'm just. By the way, so, one quick well, thing on the pardoning well, of himself. The pardon, I, I, it's just, just mind boggling. Yep. Right. We talked to Al Green, uh, Congressman Al Green, on Friday, on Friday and he yeah. introduced legislation to make it to outlaw the idea that you can pardon yourself because he said that right now it is kind of murky. Yeah. Like as it's written right now, it's a little murky. So let's like, clear it up. Yeah. Let's agree. Clear it up. Yeah. I agree. Right. But on the family members, that so there is a lot of talk. He is talking about this, right? Yeah. He said he has the absolute power to pardon. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, he wouldn't be. They wouldn't be talk, tweeting about it if he didn't. If they weren't making some backup plans, yeah. What does that tell you about how serious they must know this Russian investigation is? <laughs> On the one hand, they say it's a witch hunt; they dismiss it as no, there's nothing to it. But if they're making plans already to pardon people, 
they got to know there's fire there, not just smoke. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the his problem is that what people are going to believe, and it's sort of a Donald Trump thing to believe too. Like when he talked about, you know, people who take the Fifth Amendment are always guilty, right? This is right. a theme of his during the campaign. <laughs> That's going to come back to backfire because it's basically, yeah, of course, if someone got a pardon, they're guilty. That's what a lot of people are going to automatically yeah, yeah, believe. Right. And that's the implication of it. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be worried. Do about you think you're, you think they're talking about pardoning them like prophylactically? Right. So this is a so there have been prematurely. I, was, I, I looked into the history on this and like this is this would be oh. pre pardoning someone. A family member would oh. be pretty unprecedented. The only other precedent you could really look at was actually, you know, Ford's pardon of Nixon because that was before that was indictment. F- that was, you know, because yeah. there were other cases where there uh, were right. okay. post indictment or those like yeah. Libby was uh Scooter yeah. Libby was yeah. post sentencing. Right. right. Um then you had other family members but that was like way after, right? So um Clinton pardoning his brother for like a ninety or like a eighty five drug charge or something. So I didn't realize that. So he would be saying to Mueller, You yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah. But the but I've already pardoned him. Right, but then here's the other little key issue: is that that gives that takes away their Fifth Amendment right. So then they could actually be forced to testify, because if they're if they have a pardon and they can't be charged, there's nothing to prevent them, like you know, Mueller from forcing them to testify. <laughs> oh, this, this is this is. Oh, there's a lot yeah. of different ways that this is going, right? There's a lot of different ways yeah. this can go. <laughs> Whoa, this is this just blows your mind just to think of it. He is. I wouldn't put it past him. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Yeah. Talk I mean, you'd be talking about pardoning your own family members, you know, six months into the administration. Yeah, but I is... see, I didn't realize. I thought they were talking about after, in case they got indicted. Oh, or no. Something. Cut it off. That's the whole, that's whoa, the whole plan. Whoa. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much Definitely. for that. <laughs> yes, uh, this age of nuclear weapons coming up on the 72nd anniversary of Hiroshima. Dan Zach from the Washington Post joins us. His paper, paperback is out of his great new book called a great book called Almighty about nuclear weapons and the resistance to them among many Americans. We'll be right back. If the Democrats said we had a war on caterpillars, then every mainstream media outlet talked about the fact that Republicans have a war on caterpillars, then we'd have problems with caterpillars. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Monday, May, no, May, 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 no, July, folks. Monday, July 31, it is The Bill Press Show, and here we are uh, in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but joining you everywhere in this great land of ours, coast to coast. We're there with you on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also on uh, Free Speech TV and in the Chicago area on WCPT. Back soon in Asheville, too. We're very excited about that. Yes, indeed. Already? No, you're smiling. But Cat's out of the bag. Oh, really? Oh, all right. <laughs> That's not official, but uh, stay tuned, Asheville. <laughs> I guess the cat is out of the bag. All right. Sorry, Brian Hall. We didn't mean to one up your head. Uh, we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Right. The good men and women of our firefighting departments, we depend on them. They never let us down. Are on the front lines every day protecting American families under President uh, Harold Sheetberger. We salute them, thank them for their good service and for their support uh, of the uh, program. 
it made a big splash last year when uh, published. Now out in paperback, Almighty Courage, Resistance, and Existential Peril uh, in the Nuclear Age. Washington Post reporter Dan Zach is the uh, some light reading author. for Monday morning. Dan, yeah, I was going to uh, say, Bill, you're, you're one of the few morning. people who've gotten through that clunky subtitle without stumbling over it. So <laughs> I, I congratulate you. Uh, hello, Dan. Nice to see hello. you. Good morning. On the nuclear front, before we get to this book and about the great story of the resistance here in this country and the peril of nuclear weapons. Talk about peril. North Korea. Yeah. What is it, number 15 now since Donald Trump took office or whatever? And this one, they said, everybody says definitely could have reached the United States. Yeah, all the experts say. I mean, what they've been doing now with this latest test is they shoot it far. They shoot it vertically almost. Uh, and then the yeah. experts here calculate, well, if it was fired on a normal trajectory, how far could it have gone? And the answer, it appears from this latest test uh, last week, that it could have definitely gotten to the continental United States. You may recall the test a couple of weeks ago said Alaska could reach Alaska. Well, now this we're one they were saying L.A. They were saying L.A. They were or, people were even going farther and saying Chicago, yeah, yeah. Uh, the East Coast potentially. Um, it's all kind of complicated extrapolation of math, um, but that's what the experts are saying. And um, so they're in the nuclear club, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've, they're the only country to have tested a nuclear weapon in the 21st century. Um, and it really kind of goes to show how much of a of a kind of status elevation symbol the nuclear weapon has always been. I mean, here you have this impoverished, backward, insular country that nevertheless is being treated in uh, in in kind of the same class as a superpower because you kind of have to when you talk about nuclear weapons. Yeah, yeah. We can't feed our people, but we can right, send right. a nuclear weapon to L.A. Exactly. Right. right. Yes. Uh, and uh, so. What do we do about it? I mean, uh, I saw this morning that Nikki Haley, uh, our ambassador to the United Nations yesterday, ominously, who's apparently going to call a meeting of the Security Council to condemn this, ominously said, the time for talking is over. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I think the problem is there's not enough talking going on. I was just going to say, the time for talking hasn't begun, in my judgment. Right. Right. I mean, they haven't, we haven't had, or I mean, not unilateral, even any talks with the North Koreans since, what, the Clinton years? Or? Right, yeah, and exactly. It's been 20-plus years of kind of stop-and-start uh, mm-hmm. negotiations or lack thereof with the North Koreans. And, you know, we ignore them or we, we, we ignore dialogue with them at our peril because they have seemed to have made incredible progress in the past year or two alone. Um, and uh, and now it's, it's, it's too late. You know, the president tweeted... You know this. You know they will never test an ICBM uh, that will reach us. Well, they just did. You know, mm-hmm. and and he just said again after this. Well, they will. This it will never escalate from here. Well, it seems like it's going to at this rate. So I I don't know what the answer is. If I did, I would you know have a Nobel Peace Prize. But uh, it's an incredibly fraught and complicated situation. Well, I think one of the things we know one of the answer we know what is not the answer that China is going to crack down on them. Now, even though. Uh, President Xi and President Trump had a great, beautiful piece of chocolate cake together uh, and made this great bond. And, and the President Trump said, we don't have to worry about North Korea anymore because China's going to take care of it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there that hasn't really happened. No. And there are plenty of people Ain't who are happen. worried about, you know, North Korea just firing off a nuclear weapon at us just for kicks. And, you know, nuclear uh, North Korea is uh, for as backward and insular as it may be. It's still a nation state. The people in charge of it want to survive, want to maintain their country. There's nothing 
uh, reckless like a, a terrorist about it where they can kind of just act uh, yeah. uh, and not worry about the consequences. They have a nation state to um, get together. But I think I'm more concerned and I think actual foreign policy experts are concerned about the destabilization uh, that would occur with Russia and China. I mean, Russia is our only nuclear peer in terms of raw numbers and power. Um, and it it might behoove uh, both Russia and China, who are considered adversaries of us, to um, not act as aggressively with North Korea because they make us nervous and destabilize us and make us feel insecure. So I'm kind of more looking around North Korea and those mm-hmm. relationships than worrying about North Korea actually firing a weapon, you know, out of the blue at us. In terms of what we can do also, I, I thought one of the silliest things is every time they fire off a missile, then we have a show of military force. Right. So we flew two bombers yesterday over South Korea. Right. I mean, as Joe Biden would say, BFD. Yeah. I mean, what, what does that prove? It's, it's nothing. It, it's, right? I think it's a shortcut. It's, you know, talks and negotiations and diplomacy is hard and difficult. Uh, and flying a couple bombers or a fleet of bombers uh, over some airspace in South Korea just to kind of remind them of how powerful we are is easier in, in, in many respects. I don't think that they're getting the message, whatever message we're trying to send. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, doing a kind of a, a routine mission to show a force in that sense is, um, you know, who cares? It's it's all theater. And and that kind of goes to the essence of nuclear weapons, not as weapons of war, but as political weapons, right? They're about um, show and threat and not necessarily about action. Mm. Right. So um, what is the reality today in terms of uh, our nuclear arsenal? Uh, and um, what's happening to it? Well, it's old. The arsenal is old. Um, and we are in the process of recapitalizing our arsenal uh, to the tune of, uh, you know, $1.2 trillion, I think, over the next 30 years. Recapitalizing, meaning modernizing? Meaning, well, meaning modernizing. Uh, we are, we are. there's a, all kinds of jargon that I think is beautiful. We are uh, in, in, embarking and have embarked on life extension uh, processes for our warheads. That is refurbishing them, modernizing them. Um, and we've also are going to be building a new fleet of nuclear armed submarines, a new fleet of bombers. Uh, so essentially, these these uh, warheads and the delivery systems that take them to their target need to be updated, need to be refurbished. And we have to do that now. Um, so that's where we're at. We are. Um, we have to do that as long as we're going to continue to have nuclear weapons. Well, exactly, and that's kind of the paradox about it. You know, the Obama administration said President Obama said we're a world without nuclear weapons. Well, he said we was, we need to seek the peace and security of a world without nuclear weapons, which is a very careful arrangement of words. Careful statecraft. We need to seek the peace and security of a world without nuclear yeah. weapons. You know, President Obama was someone who had nuclear weapons on the brain since his college days. He wrote a senior thesis at Columbia about nonproliferation and the Soviet threat and everything like that. And then, you know, cut to 25, 30 years later, he's the guy with the codes. You know, uh, this former academic community organizer now is the commander in chief. And at the beginning of every administration, a president issues what's called a nuclear posture review. And we'll expect one from President Trump by the end of the year or early next year, which says this is why the United States has nuclear weapons. This is what they do for us in terms of our security. And this is what we would do with them. Um, it's kind of a, just a document that lays it all out there. And President Obama had this what I think is a wonderful paradox in his posture review, which said as long as nuclear weapons exist, we will have them. Well, then you're never going to get rid of them, right? <laughs> right, um, right. So at the same time, the Obama administration has tried to reduce the role, quote unquote, the role of nuclear weapons in our security policy. And it will be really interesting to see how 
the Trump administration revises that whenever this document comes out. Uh, I, I mentioned to you that um, my friend, Governor Jerry Brown of California, whom I worked for for four years, um, directed me about uh, a year ago to read this book by former Defense Secretary William Perry called My Journey at the Nuclear Brink, mm-hmm. where, where uh, a very powerful book where he 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 really makes the point that that nuclear weapons don't protect us as much as they imperil us and endanger us. Yeah. Would you agree? <laughs> Uh, I would, only because, you know, we, uh, mankind, we are a frail species, and we're not perfect all the time, and we've created these devices that have this kind of godlike power, and I I think it's foolish to think we can have ultimate control over them all the time, Um, and I think Secretary Perry uh, has has really been kind of out front, especially in the past couple years, talking about that threat. I mean, he said this is a man who was part of, as for his career, part of what they call the nuclear priesthood in Washington. There's a lot of very interesting religious uh, jargon and iconography in, in the is nuclear that, weapons yeah. complex. Huh. Um, but, uh, you know, former secretary of defense under Bill Clinton. And now he says today we are at more risk, higher risk for nuclear catastrophe than we ever were during the Cold War. I mean, think about that. Higher risk than the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is the former Secretary of Defense saying this. He's saying it in testimony on Capitol Hill. He's saying it in op-eds, and he's saying it in his book, too. I think that's that, a shocking estimation. Right. You know, we, these are the moments that we point to as, like, touchstones of where we never, yeah. ever, ever want to go back to. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're worse off now than we are then. Yeah. Yeah, and he says it's because we have— Because of—I was going to say because of North Korea, because of terrorist activity? I think there's—as of... I recall from talking with him and hearing him speak, there are two main reasons why he thinks that. And one is the threat of nuclear terrorism— uh, right. A terrorist acquiring some kind of fissile material, radi- radiological material, and not necessarily setting off a nuclear explosion, but a dirty bomb laced with nuclear material that might incite panic um, and economic upheaval, or and a reaction in countries who think maybe it was it was a nuclear weapon and respond with nuclear weapons. Uh, and the other reason is because our RCBM fleet, which is underground in missile silos in Wyoming and North Dakota and um, uh, Montana. Uh, those are on what we call prompt launch. Um, some people, some critics of that mm-hmm. call it hair trigger alert. Mm-hmm. Um, these weapons are locked and loaded, ready to go, so that if something happens, the president can issue the order and they can be out of the ground in twenty or in uh, eight minutes, really, and hit their intended target anywhere, anywhere in the world in 20 minutes. Um, and he thinks that, that uh, standing on that precipice, even in relative global peacetime, um, makes uh, makes it far more likely to blunder into some kind of nuclear war than not. So he right. wants that. He wants uh, he wants the ICBMs off prompt launch. Right. So your own book on this whole uh, issue and particularly the resistance to it, uh, Almighty, uh, it um, came out uh, last summer in hardback hardcover, and as of tomorrow is available in paperback. I've got mine right here, mm-hmm. uh, Almighty. First of all. That just the word "almighty" is a loaded uh, title. To, yes, to be sure, and I, I meant it to be loaded too. Right. Um, What's it mean? Well, so the book is about it centers. It's about kind of our nuclear identity since you know 1942, really, when we started work on the Manhattan Project. Um, but it the book revolves around one particular incident in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. Um, in 2012, three peace activists uh, hiked a wooded ridge in the middle of the night. Uh, cut through four fences, three of which were alarmed, entered a lethal force zone around a facility we call the Fort Knox of Uranium. It's a nuclear weapons facility in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. 
uh, spray painted biblical messages through their through human blood on the walls of the building where we keep all of our highly enriched uranium that's not in a warhead somewhere. And By the then, way, these were unarmed. Right? Unarmed this was peace a protester. Nun and, and and two uh, two of her fellow peace activists and the nun yeah. at the time. Her name is Sister Megan Rice. She lives in Washington D.C. Uh, was 82 years old at the time. She's now 87. And the three of them got in there, got in there, and undetected. Undet right? Yeah, well, they were detected. The, the problem but, was they, they set off alarms, like they were cutting through these fences that had fiber yeah. optic cables. But the problem is this site was used to 1,000-plus false alarms every day, and so a culture of complacency uh, had oh, developed. Wow. Oh, this is just so, one more false alarm. And In fact, it was three intruders who were using bolt cutters to get through to but this. But they get in, and you're right, and they spray paint and everything, and they're basically... Please come and arrest right, us, they, right? And then they have to essentially wait to be arrested. And yeah, so, and so yeah. because of this their... This is it. Yeah. And, and this, is, this was considered one of the most secure facilities in the world. And there are people, <laughs> and there are people who... Uh, this building they got up to that, that is a storehouse of our highly enriched uranium, mm -hmm. there are people who consider it the greatest stockpile of fissile material on the planet. This is one of the most dangerous buildings on the planet. And these people just essentially waltzed in. Now, the government is, was embarrassed and said, well, if they wanted to actually get in the building, there's no way. You know, these, the, the walls of this building are supposed to withstand the impact of a commercial jet. There are Gatling guns and the turrets. They would have been stopped immediately. Um, but, you know, I responded to that and said, well, would, did you think it was possible that an 82-year-old woman would get as far as she did? And if so, why couldn't you imagine something a lot worse happening? So the, the title, to bring back to the title, Almighty, the book is about these three activists and their religious, religious motivation. Mm -hmm. And to kind of reiterate this kind of religious tenor of talking about nuclear weapons and, and terminology, there is a connectivity, I think, between the godlike power of these weapons and the uh, God-inspired motivation um, that sends people like these three people, including Sister Megan, in the middle of the night hiking into the most dangerous, well-guarded, apparently, uh, facility uh, on the planet. Um, you know, the, after the first test of a nuclear weapon, uh, I guess 72 years ago this month in New Mexico, the deputy of the Manhattan Project, his reaction when he saw this amazing uh, display of power um, said, well, now mankind has uh, oh. the ability, uh, has the power heretofore reserved to the Almighty. And so even in the first seconds after our first detonation of a nuclear weapon, people were talking about it in these kind of supernatural, um, uh, theistic, deistic terms. And so I thought this one word encapsulated both the power of these weapons uh, and the religion, the spirituality that uh, motivates activists to resist these weapons. Why isn't there more resistance to nuclear weapons if they do pose such a threat? You know, I thought a lot of, I thought a lot about that over the four or five years of reporting this. You know, in 1982 you had a million people in the street in New York marching against the nuclear the nuclear arsenal. The freeze movement was kind of underway mm. in 1982. You do not have a million people anywhere marching against nuclear weapons. Um, and I think that's for a variety of reasons. Uh, people like myself, I was born in 1983, so I was born into a world that was obsessed with nuclear weapons. I mean, the day after was premiering on ABC, I think two months after I was born, 100 million people watched the day after on ABC. Uh, but I came of age in a world that had forgotten about nuclear weapons, largely forgotten. This is post-Cold War. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't have kind of these two superpowers, these two great adversaries staring at each other eyeball to eyeball. Um, and I think you now have two generations of Americans, of people around the world who do not have the focusing agent of something like the Cold War to remind them of, of the threat. We're not ducking and covering, you know. 
Um, and at the same time, I, I think every generation has enough brain space in their head to wrangle with one existential crisis. And for me, and I think people younger than me, it is environmental. It's climate change. Climate it's sea change. level rise. Yeah. yeah. And with that, the individual can feel like he or she has some agency over it. You can recycle. You can get a hybrid car. You can buy carbon offsets. You, however small you can feel like you're doing something about it. Nuclear weapons is a rarefied, highly classified, remote removed uh, part of American society. And I think it's easy to feel a bit helpless if you do want to do something. What are you going to do? Write your congressman? What are you going to do? Break into a nuclear weapons facility in the middle of the night? I mean, not a lot of people are going to do that. So I think there is both a helplessness and an abstraction to nuclear weapons. You can't go on YouTube uh, and see, oh, someone detonated a nuclear weapon last week. And isn't it terrible? You can go on YouTube and watch a giant chunk of glacier fall into the ocean, though, and see it happening. And so I think for those reasons, the nuclear threat has receded since the end of the Cold War. At the same time, you know, we do have this. Uh, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, but we do have this nuclear arsenal. It is now being upgraded. It's not going away. Um, the If you look at um, the lack of control, I guess, or protection over how these nuclear weapons might be used, this presidential decision-making yeah. that one person one man or woman within five minutes can make the decision, but maybe based on a false alarm right? To, to, to start a nuclear war. And then you have somebody like a Donald Trump, right, with this. I mean, it's it, it's almost beyond comprehension. Maybe that's why. We that's just, the problem. It's, it's so, so scary abstract. we just it's, walk away that's from ex it. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's so abstract. And it's so what can the individual do yeah. that it's easier to get through yeah. your day without thinking about it. But really... It could all happen so suddenly that I would argue we should be thinking about it every second. But uh, that's no way right. to get through a day. That's an argument that, that uh, Bill Perry makes, that you make in your book, Jerry Brown makes, and uh, and a lot of others do. And maybe one we ought to think a lot about as we come up to August 6th, which is the 72nd anniversary. Mm -hmm. We are still the only nation on Earth that has dropped a bomb, a nuclear bomb on another country. Mm -hmm. And not only one, but that we turn around three days later and drop the second one. Sure. Which... Yeah. Uh, I think it still is a black mark over the United States. Mm -hmm. um, Almighty is a book that's out now in paperback, of course, anywhere online where you can buy books or most preferably your local independent bookstore. Um, I want to ask you about a couple of other issues sure. if I can because well, you're a general issue reporter. And sure. you have written about Mr. O.J., I have, yeah. Citizen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OJ. Going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah. What does this mean that OJ gets out? I don't know right. what it means. I, I think, um, you know, I wrote a I wrote a story about his getting parole. Was I don't know, was that last week? Was it two weeks ago? It's hard last to keep week. track of well, time. You've got <laughs> all, lost yeah, last Jesus. week. Right? Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, I think a lot of people uh, thought that his sentence for this particular crime was um, uh, w was extreme. And so I think you talk to any legal expert, regardless of what they think of Mr. Simpson himself, and they would have said, you know, nine or 33 years was a lot for, for the crimes he was convicted of in, in, in this case. Um, so I don't think anyone was, was surprised by the result. What was interesting, though, is that we were right back in our, the mode we were in in 1993, 4, or 5, um, whereas we were watching Mr. Simpson live on a camera, wrangling and working his way through this legal system, uh, with intense interest. Uh, and, and now, 20 plus years after his uh, murder trial, 
with with all this social media as well. You know, you could look back at the, yeah. the first trial and the media coverage, the TV coverage was so omnipresent and so um, transfixing. And the media situation has proliferated to an extent where it's just, can you imagine if we had Twitter in 1995 oh for that trial? You know, that, that's, that is the one thought that kept going through my head as I watched Oj oh, back on TV. Can you even imagine what it would have been like? It's, I, it would have been, I, I, I don't know. It would have been all encompassing, I yeah. think. Um, and, and everyone who was kind of yelling at the TV back in the nineties and you wouldn't hear them would now be yelling in full view yeah. of each other. Yeah. Um, and, uh, at the expense of actually focusing on the important points of whatever case and the actual expertise that out that's out there, everyone thinks they're an expert in, in when it comes to something like this yeah. and. Uh, the volume and the noise can kind of distract from the actual news. And Johnny, his, his, his Johnny Cochran, Johnny Cochran, Johnny yeah, Cochran. Johnny Cochran. <laughs> it would have been, he would have been the Twitter. Johnny Cochran would have been Twitter on Twitter. Monster. He would have Absolutely. on Twitter every day. He probably day, would have so. been really yeah, good at it. He would have devastated. But I, uh, to me, great. the most stunning thing about was OJ saying, "What was his phrase like?" I, I've had a pretty uncomplicated life, or a pretty upright <laughs> life, or what was it? That yeah, exactly. He, he said, uh, "Life without conflict." I think something, yeah, something yeah, like uh, it. Yeah, or, life um, without conflict. Not quite. <laughs> yeah, like, whoa, yeah. whoa. I, you know, and what I'm not a psychoanalyst, but um, you know, I think having watched a, a wonderful documentary like the um, uh, OJ Made in America, yeah. the oh, ESPN documentary, brilliant. Brilliant, well reported. You know, even even the objective observer can come away from a work like that and see this is a man who um, has an understanding, his own understanding of who he is and what he represents, and and maybe even to this day it hasn't quite broken through his own defenses and his own skull. I, I don't know. All I know is what I how I can what I see uh, streaming online from him in that cell in Nevada. I don't know. Dan, good to see you. Good, Thanks, to, uh, good to know you. Thanks so much for coming in. Again, the book is Almighty, a very important issue uh, that we should be paying a lot more attention to. Um, thanks so much again Thank for you. your good reporting at The Post. And folks, have a great Monday. Make the most of it. And come back and see us again tomorrow. This more to talk is about. the Bill we'll Press Show.